Acts chapter 3, and we'll begin in verse 11. One of the most dangerous applications of the gospel is to think that we can arrive at complete holiness or perfection here on earth. This kind of thinking comes up when we hear testimonies of believers who have come out of destructive sin patterns, cold turkey, and it seems as though they've never struggled again after that moment. And these are amazing testaments of God's grace and mercy when they are legit. But stories like this can leave us with the wrong thinking that their lives were happily ever after from that moment on. And thus ours should be too, or even can be. The issue is that we don't see the rest of the story. Where the guy or the girl goes home and life's good for a minute, maybe even a day. But then they find themselves sitting and pondering the same sinful thoughts that we all have at times. I can assure you this. They continued to sin. Maybe they didn't struggle in that way ever again, but they continued to sin. But we never hear about that in a testimony. Nobody usually says, man, God saved me from this uh, radical drug addiction that I had. But now, man, I'm working on gluttony. We never really hear that. We just hear this part of it. And it's hard to give a testimony because at what, t- at what point do I wrap this thing up? I feel like it's, well, I'm learning here. I, how, how much time do you have? I've got, a lot of t- I've got a lot of stuff going on. We usually only hear the big stories. We usually only tell the big stories. But this brings up a wrong thinking that can be dangerous because it leads us to believe that we can arrive at perfection here. Because didn't they? The video stopped. Their testimony stopped. And the last thing we heard was that they, in a way arrived. But the deeper truth is that our hearts are deeply sick with sin. And they will be until glory. No testimony will ever be complete here on earth. If it's not this huge sin issue, it will be a more socially acceptable one. The truth is we will all struggle with sin until glory. We cannot arrive at complete holiness and perfection here on earth. But The issue is, and I think where we kind of develop our wrong thinking, is that God also calls us to holiness. And he says that we cannot be in the presence of him without it. Look at Hebrews 12. Strive for peace with everyone, and so strive for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So we can't attain it here, but we're to strive for it. What do we do with this? What are we supposed to do in the meantime until we are in glory, until we have arrived? We need a dose of gospel reality to our lives. That there is a much better goal in life than arriving at perfection or holiness here on earth. Happily ever after with no more sitting is not a reality for us here on earth. So we need a better goal in life. And it is this. To grow always in repentance. Jesus began his ministry by preaching these words in Matthew 4, 17. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And in Luke 5, 31-32, Jesus answered them, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And a little later in Acts chapter 5, Luke writes this, God exalted him, Jesus, to his own right hand as prince and savior, that... The purpose, he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. Martin Luther, 
open the Protestant Reformation by saying this. Our Lord and Master Jesus Christ willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. In the book of Acts so far, Peter in his first sermon preaches repentance. And it's the main command that we'll see in our passage today, in our second sermon from Peter. But why? Why would Peter, in both of his first two sermons to believers and and non-believers alike, preach the same message of repentance? Because we still sin. Since we cannot ever arrive at perfection here on earth, there must be something that is much more important than arriving. Our better goal in life is to grow always in repentance. With this in mind, let's read Acts 3, verse 11. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn again that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your father, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word to us today. And we pray as unworthy and unrighteous sinners that we have nothing to do with this. We have no work that we can do to make your word uh, come alive to us and change our hearts. That's a work that only you can do, Father. But we pray that you would do it. We pray that you would change us by your word. If there is anything I say that is not of you, God, I pray that you would help us to all forget it. And if there is anything in this room that that any of us think that is contrary to your word or who you are, I pray that you would correct it in our minds. God, help us to have a proper view of who you are and what your son has done.
so that we might know you. Please help us in this time. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Since we cannot ever arrive at perfection here on earth, a better goal in life is to grow always in repentance. In our passage, we see three parts of the gospel message with the main point being repentance. These three parts we see and that we're going to walk through are, one, the background to the message, two, the command to repent, and three, the means by which we repent. First is the background to the message. The second is the command to repent. And third, the means by which we repent. So let's take a look at the first one, the background to the message. In order to get a better understanding of where we are, go back with me to chapter 3, verses, verse 1. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and enter the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So this, this is a story of gospel transformation. This is a picture of what the gospel does in men and women. Of a man hopeless in his sin being offered a free gift of salvation. And he goes from never having walked to walking and running and leaping and praising God for joy. Now he's here in verse 11. While he, this man, clung to Peter and John. All the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. So just as a reminder, this is what that would have looked like. I have a, the first picture. This is uh, kind of the whole thing. That in the middle, that structure is the temple. Over here with the red uh, roof, that would have been Solomon's porch. And what that would have looked like uh, in this passage is, uh, so Peter would have been somewhere in here, under Solomon's porch, uh, preaching this message. And he says this, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified that is exalted uh, to his right hand in glory. His servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. So Christ was brought before the people where Pilate, he tried to let him go. He says, this man has done nothing wrong. But he asked which of the prisoners they wanted to wanted, wanted release to them and they asked for Barabbas, a murderer. And so Peter, for Peter to say this, this is an accusation of guilt. 
to them. You denied the innocent one. And you guys are wrong for this. But Peter's also speaking to himself here. Peter denied Christ three times. Once to a small girl. Verse 15. And you killed the author of life. The Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts are considered to be one of the most beautifully written works um, in history. And you can see why. You guys were so wrong, you killed him who made life. You killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. This Jesus was just tried and crucified for blasphemy in this very city, right where we see all of these people. Jesus actually had a sermon from this very spot where Peter is speaking. Anyone who claims to know this Jesus, let alone claims him to be resurrected as though he were God or something, he prepared to die for this message. And yet Peter stands here proclaiming with boldness by the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 16, he explains uh, what happened in the verses that we just read. And his name, Jesus, by faith in Jesus' name, has made this man strong whom you see and know you saw him every day. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. What truly healed the lame man? It was his faith. Through Jesus that gave him perfect health. It is a picture of eternal healing that leaves this man leaping and praising God the same way it's going to be for all believers in glory. When we are in heaven, we will all be walking, running, leaping, and praising God. Verse 17, And now, brothers... I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Jesus, as he was dying on the cross, cried out to the Father, Forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. What a gracious Savior, that he would intercede for the men killing him spitting on his face, pulling hair from his face, whipping him. That a man like, like this would love his enemies and pray for them to be forgiven. And all of these seven verses, they're building up the tension to this story. Peter is before all of these men, as we just saw, and he calls them out. He says, you are guilty. Like This is what happened. You crucified him. Pilate even tried. No, you took the wrong guy. It's building up the tension of the story. This is the background so that what he says next, everyone is keyed in for. Right now at this moment, everyone does feel the weight and the guilt of, oh, he's totally right. Because we can't find Jesus, so he must be resurrected. We have no hope anymore to see God. They're guilty. And so they're waiting for hope to come. And they're hanging on every word that comes out of Peter's mouth. So what does he say next? This is point two. The command to repent. Look at verse 19. With all of this in the background, repent therefore. Repent therefore. Why? We see three reasons in our text. The first is that our sins may be blotted out. 
The second is that times of refreshing may come to us. And the third is that Christ may come for us. So let's walk through the first one. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Why why are we to repent? So that our sins may be blotted out. What this does not mean is that we are saved by our own repentance. Repentance is an act of saving faith. The same faith that is a free gift from the Father. But they're also together. Faith and repentance. In that trust in God. Faith in God is simultaneously repentance because it is turning from belief in something to belief in someone. It's believing that more joy is found in God than can be found in sin. It's less about feeling bad over behavior and more about feeling awe and delight towards God. It is believing again in the forgiveness of our sins. It involves grief over past sins and present sinful tendencies, and it involves turning from evil ways. It is a complete 180-degree turn from moments of sin to utterly fighting and striving to believe again in the gospel that Jesus has paid for these sins and that Jesus is better. So faith and repentance are not entirely two separate things. The turning of repentance is a turning from trusting in other things to trusting in God. Repentance is an act of faith, and faith is repentant in what it is. So, why are we then to repent of our sins and a 180 degree turning from acts of sin to acts of faith? So that our sins may be blotted out. As part of the custom of this day, at this time, parchment was super expensive. Nobody liked to purchase new parchment. So what they did was the scribes, they would use acid-free ink on parchment because it was so expensive. So the acid-free, it would keep it from sinking into the paper. So blotting out in this sense would when they would, scribes would go to just erase it, they'd just grab a sponge and they'd just wipe it off, erasing it completely. Now we know that the Father has knowledge of everything. And we know that we will be held accountable for all that he does know about us. So as a word picture, if every single one of our sins was placed on a piece of parchment or multiple pieces of parchment, that coming judgment is leaving us without a lot of hope. But then someone walks up outside of our power. Someone walks up and wipes them away. Whatever we had on that parchment is gone. And we are declared innocent from it all. How do you respond to that? Disbelief? Worship? Worship despite disbelief? Isaiah 43 verse 25 says this. I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. And I will not remember your sins. By faith in Jesus Christ, there is nothing left written on the record of our sins. By faith in Jesus, it is our faith in Jesus. That's why we return. That's why we repent. It's not about being forgiven of sins. The blotting out of sins happened once and for all at the cross. Instead, repentance is a returning back to the life and purpose that we've already been given in Christ. It's striving to remember with all that we have that we are declared innocent, even though we aren't innocent, and yet we have it. Repent, therefore, that your sins may be blotted out. 
If you're a believer, your sins were blotted out by your Messiah. So, what are the reasons you give yourself for not repenting? Are they greater than the cross of Christ? Do they hold any weight at all? Verse 19. Repent therefore and turn back. Why? So that your sins may be blotted out, one. And two, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. These are obviously connected in that the first is obviously refreshing. But what more is there? The word for refreshing in the Greek is equated to a breath of fresh, cool air. So just for a moment, think about the times in your life where sin has built more and more sin and the light is gone from your eyes. Maybe we haven't talked with God because we're afraid of how he feels about us. We feel ashamed to be in this place again. We've all been there. We all know. But what else I know is that means we all know how refreshing it is to hear the good news of the gospel be preached again, to read the good news of the gospel again in our Bibles, to sing and hear other people around us sing of the good news of the gospel and feel that again. In these moments, the fresh, cool air of the Holy Spirit moves in us and we exhale the weight that we put on ourselves. And we remember again that Christ took even this burden when he placed himself on the cross. And now, it is forever gone. Blotted out. It was acid-free ink. It's gone. Notice with me. Where do the times of refreshing come from? The presence of the Lord. Believer, where is the Holy Spirit for you? We repent. We return, we turn back, back to the times of refreshing that we get from the presence of the Lord, the Holy Spirit within us. Why do we return back to the Lord? That times of refreshing may come from His presence, that we breathe in that fresh, cool air yet again. So do you feel weary and burdened? Do you feel heavy because of your sins? There is a breath of cool air waiting. Verse 19, repent therefore and turn back. Why? That your sins may be blotted out. One. Two, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And three, that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Repent and turn back. Why? that we may enjoy again the hope of Christ one day restoring all things and making all things new. Why is this important for us? Because this life of sin and death is hard. We see it daily. This is why we cannot ever believe that our best lives can be here and now. This is a horrible thought if this life is all there is this is all the joy I do get this is my best life no there's coming a day when Jesus will be sent back to earth to restore 
everything new, new heavens, new earth, new bodies, new lives, no pain, no darkness, no sin, no death, no tears. Romans 8 verse 18 says this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Believers, our best days are yet to come. Our best days are yet to come. Thank God. The Christ is coming for those whose lives are marked by repentance and growth in it. And it is going to be a day that if we saw it now, we wouldn't believe it. When we repent, we are truly longing for this day to come. And so when we do not repent, we are saying boldly that we long for something more than the restoration to come in Christ. We want the here and now. So we repent. And one day, we know that one day, all things will be restored back to the way they are supposed to be. So in what ways can you take time out of your day to just ponder the day to come? To just think about the glory and the majesty of what is to come. Verse 21. Until, middle of verse 21. Until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Uh, Peter's now going to move into, uh, he's just explaining the text. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. He's talking about Jesus. You shall listen to him and whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your father, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Peter is saying this. The redemptive plan of history is unfolding now. God has promised that the Messiah would come to save and redeem sinners from their sins. And he has come. We saw him be crucified, buried, and he, we saw him live again. God is beginning the plan that we know about. If we just think about it, if we think about all the scriptures that we know, this is God's plan. It's happening right now that by faith in Jesus, we can have times of refreshing, restoring, and blotting out of sins kind of relationship with the Father that we never could before. From the very beginning of the prophets, Samuel prophesied about these days. And from the very beginning of the covenant made with Abraham, God has been on a mission to glorify himself by redeeming sinners by his son. And guys, it has begun the time for the kingdom is now, so turn back from your sins. Do not let any time be wasted. The truth is, a better goal in life than attaining perfection, than attaining holiness here, is to grow always in repentance. Why? That our sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come, and that God might send his son to restore us one day. However, we're still left with the most important question. How do we do it? This is point three, the means by which we repent. Why, when Peter has just been a part of this healing, would he not stand up in Solomon's uh, portico and offer the same kinds of healing? 
Surely someone in this crowd has something going on physically where they could be healed. Why does he preach repentance instead? Because there's only one true problem in life. It is not that more people need to be physically healed. It is this, Romans 3.23. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Those who sin and fall short of the glory of God are to be banished from the kingdom of heaven to live in eternal torment. With that being true, the world does not need more physical healing. It needs more than that. We are sinful and we fall short of the glory of God, so we don't deserve to walk, stand, leap anything in the presence of God at all. That is only for holy and righteous ones, and so far, only one has been able to do that. We are enemies of God, dead in our sins. So what's the answer here? What is the way that a sinful, fallen short of the glory of God, man or woman, makes it in? How do we step into this family of God and see the restoration that is coming for us one day? How can this be true for me? The answer? Blood. My blood. The wages of sin is death. The debt that we owe in forsaking the God of all and denying Christ by our lives and actions and words and thoughts in worshiping the idols of the heart, all of it is accumulating a debt of wrath that sits on our heads and it must be paid for. Death must be the punishment. God is a just God. He will not let his name go profaned without exacting judgment on sinners and wrath on sinners. And sinners under wrath cannot stand righteous before God. The wrath of God must be satisfied in order for anyone to live in peace with him. And the wrath of God is only satisfied by blood. The issue with this is that we have no good blood to offer. Our own blood is marred by our sin. We are not a worthy sacrifice. So there is no way to eternal life for sinners. But what if there was another way? What if there was a man who looked at our coming wrath and took it on himself? What if the man took the punishment that we deserved and gave us a pardon? Behold, the wondrous mystery of the cross of Jesus Christ, that we have such a Savior as this. In our sins, we deserve nothing less than eternity in hell. But in Jesus, we have a chance. We have a pardon. We have a hope to be redeemed and restored and refreshed forever. This Messiah deserves all of us. That is why our proper response is to repent and to turn back, not out of obligation, not out of force, but out of worship, out of thankfulness, out of the sheer grace that we have that we do not deserve. We repent, we return back to God because by the cross, we remember where our hope truly does lie. It's not that we, ah, we sinned, I've got to return back to God. It's no, I'm, I've got to go back to God. Where else is my joy? The rest of the passage in Romans says this, Romans 3. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. What are the means by which this happens? How is this possible? How is the gospel true? How am I even able to repent before a holy God? By knowing that the suffering for this sin has been absolutely and forever and effectually paid for by Jesus Christ. Look back with me to verse 18. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Christ suffered the wrath that we deserved. Because the Father knew there was no other way for us in. He fulfilled what needed to happen in order for sinners to be saved. Who does the work there? And look back or look to verse 26. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. The means by which we repent is found in Jesus. God has done all of the work for this to be something that we have as a gift, as a gift of grace to undeserving sinners. We can't attain it, but we're to strive for it. And when, not if, but when our strivings fail and we do sin, we remember the cross of Christ and we repent. We remember that our sins have been paid for, that our lives have been purchased, that the most important issue in my life has been atoned for and dealt with finally and forever by the suffering and death of the one who took our place. And so we return. We turn back. It won't feel right because it's not right. It is mercy. It is undeserved. But we do it to be refreshed. All by faith in Jesus, knowing that one day, finally and forever, man, I won't have to repent ever again. What a Savior. With all of this in mind, let's take communion together to remember the gospel to see a visual picture and to hold in your hands the symbols of the good news of the gospel. If you are a believer, you're welcome to the table. However, if you're an unbeliever or if you are in unrepentant sin, I ask that you would remain in your seat during this time because 1 Corinthians says you would be eating and drinking in an unworthy manner, and we don't want that for you. If you're in unrepentant sin, though, Because of the suffering of Jesus, you have no wrath left on you. You have nothing to do more than return. So do so by the grace you have in Jesus. If you're an unbeliever, if you have never repented of your sins, you have a debt of sin on you that you cannot pay. But Jesus 
is the, he's offering you the free gift of salvation by grace through faith. Believe in the gospel for your soul this morning. For all of us in this time, here is our prayer. Father, I admit and confess my utter need for the holiness that I cannot attain on my own. Would you, by your grace, allow me to always be growing in repentance that I may best glorify you with my life. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Take your time to pray through what God has given you in his word to pray for. Take this time to pray for the faith to believe yet again in the gospel. And maybe for you, it's taking this time to examine your life, to see if there are sins that you can repent of, not out of obligation, but for joy. When you're ready, the elements are at the back of the room. Grab them and bring them back to your seat, and we'll take them all together here in a minute. The song that we are about to sing says this. In Christ alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God and helpless babe, this gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to save, till on that cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied for every sin him was laid here in the death of Christ I live how do we know that we have nothing we have no wrath waiting for us but we have forgiveness how do we know that we can be restored how do we know that we can turn to times of refreshing because on the night when Jesus was betrayed he took bread And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the good news of the gospel. That us undeserving, unrighteous, unworthy sinners have a pardon by the blood of Jesus Christ. God, would you help us to believe yet again or for the first time for the thousandth time in your gospel that we may live that by it we have life God help us to believe in this time and help us to repent as we sing and help us to worship as we sing help our hearts to be overflowing and overwhelmed with such a gift as this. We thank you. And we can never thank you enough. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.